it blesses me, man. Um, Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I'm broken. You know. Recording <clears throat> in progress. You know, the Christian life is a paradox because in the one sense, you're healed. But in the other sense, sometimes the Lord touches your hip like he did to the old patriarch. And he couldn't walk the same anymore. The Lord dislocated something. He broke something. So his walk changed. And so his walk, our walks have changed, but sometimes it's with a limp. Sometimes there's some dislodging and dislocating the Lord has to do to kind of serve as a thorn to prod you into the right direction. Because on your own, you don't lack you, you lack the discipline to walk the straight and narrow in certain areas. And so the Lord has to pin you down to the ground and wrestle you to the ground, so to speak. And so the Christian life is a paradox. On the one hand, we're we're completely healed, and on the other on the other hand, in some respects, we're broken. And um, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, right? He had a thorn in his flesh, and that did not negate the healing power of Jesus. All it served to do is serve as a showcase. Of how the power of God is sufficient despite whatever um, fleshly limitation that, or fleshly restraint or trials that come our way or are inherent in our lives. Why? So that the excellency of the power of God may be displayed. What did Paul say? Say he says we have these treasures in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be manifest that it's not from us but it's unto him second Corinthians chapter 1 right does not the text say he says we are we would not have you ignorant brethren of the trial that came to us in Asia we were so burdened beyond our ability to endure here's a Paul the apostle he's not a limp-wristed person with you know delicate fingers, you know polished by um, what is it a pedicure or a manicure like on a finger? Which one is it? My point though is that he's not a weak individual. He's a pretty gritty person, but he says this was beyond our ability to endure. Why? He says so. This he says so that. Um, that we might not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. Amen. Amen. If you haven't come to a number of your funerals yet, you're not a Christian. And that funeral might mean different things for different people. But we all, in many ways, view ourselves over our own caskets as we bid certain things about ourselves goodbye. And, in, and, and some of it leads to frustration because of your limitations. Why can't I do the things I used to do? Or this doesn't make sense. I've read a book on this or I've took a 101 class on this. Why can't I change? Why, can't, why am I not seeing progress uh, in this area? Well, sometimes it's because the Lord touched your hip. And now you're walking with pain. 
you wrestled with God and God wrestled with you. I love what Paul Washer said once. He says, he says, I need more than maxims and proverbs. I need a mighty God who will wrestle this man to the ground and save him. I still need yeah. Lord, the Lord Jesus as I call on him like that song was saying, Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling you. I still need that self-same Jesus that saved me 11 years ago as a former criminal, felon, drug addict, and violent person. I still need that Jesus to save me every single day. Amen. Not in the sense that I cross from death unto life because we have life, but I need him to save me in the micro uh, trials and the macro trials. Because how many of you know there is a real adversary and the roars of the lions are pretty ferocious? And we are sheep and we don't stand up against it. We don't stand a chance against the roaring lion. You know, the interesting thing is actually a simile because the Bible says the devil is as a roaring lion. But the Bible says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so the devil is a mere imposter, intimidating us. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Amen. And so there's my um, prophetic preface. I felt impromptu by the Lord to go in that direction encourage you guys before we get into the text um, as I as I do as often as, as I often do I want to solemnly warn us <coughs> urge us to give attention to the reading of the word of God Paul writes Timothy in the first letter he says give public reading and attention uh, give public attention to the reading of scripture and so he says, give public attention to the reading of Scripture and the preaching and the teaching. And so, First um, Thessalonians says that we thank God continually for when you receive the word of God, which you accepted from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in the truth, the word of God that is effectually at work in you who believe. And so, belief is often manifested and indicated by your importunity and your desperation to obtain the promises of God. A belief that a faith that is passive, a faith that is lethargic, a faith that just goes on your lazy boy uh, couch and recliner that um, wants to passively receive blessings from God is in fact a deceitful faith because it is no faith indeed. The kingdom of God suffers violent and the violence take it by force. So we are to obtain the promises of God by force and we are to be very active. That isn't to say that we earn or work for the blessings of God, but rather we receive them by faith and they're a mere gift and nothing less and nothing more. But in order to appropriate those promises, we, the key that unlocks them is a persistent and stubborn faith. The woman with the issue of blood. How many of you are the women with the issue of blood? But you got a different issue. She says, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I know I will be made whole. That's what the Bible says, right? Well, how many of you have your own issues and you press through the crowd and you say, if I can only touch the fringe of his garment, I can be made whole. And remember, women with women at that time, especially if you had that issue, you, you were considered unclean. 
and and to begin to touch males in 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 the crowd and remove them from your sight and, and press up against them so you can get to Jesus it was something that was socially unacceptable and so sometimes your faith needs to press through those social barriers and those those walls and say you know I don't care what the results are I just need to get to Jesus amen and so may that spirit of faith be present among us that you say I just need to get to Jesus you might say well Jesus ain't among us anymore oh is he are you sure about that Jesus says I dwell in the midst of my people that's what the word of the Lord says in Psalm 22 it says he the spirit of God that dwells in the midst of the candlesticks Let me tell you real quick, the people that Jesus doesn't dwell among are those that are lukewarm. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. Isn't that interesting? That a church would teach and preach a Jesus who stands outside his own home knocking. Isn't that really fascinating and scary? That you could be so deceived as to sing about Jesus, worship Jesus, teach about Jesus, preach about Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I'm not even in my own home. You're preaching about a God that ain't there. And so, I want God here. More than just the Word of God, because there are many churches that will proclaim the Word of God and God ain't with them. God is not in their midst. It's kind of like when Jesus appeared to them on the on the Emmaus road. They didn't even know they were speaking with Jesus. And then at some point, the, the, their hearts caught up to them and said, "Did not our hearts burn within us?" And they're like, "Oh, wait, wait, that that was Jesus." So a lot of times the Lord takes you through stuff, and it isn't until retrospect that you look backwards and you see that Jesus was with you. But Jesus wants your spiritual faculties to be sharpened so you can be able to discern. And so I want us to turn, with that said, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12. Are you all with me? Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 17. (laughs) I'm just messing. There is no chapter 17. Some of you are like, amen, I'm there. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? You have to repent in the in the midst of the great congregation. <laughs> Romans seventeen. Turn to Hittite chapter two. <laughs> Turn to Hittite and Dustmite chapter three. <laughs> Dustmite. <laughs> 
<coughs> turn to dust mite and flea bite. Alright, so um Romans chapter twelve <coughs> verse one <coughs> type Amen or give me a thumbs up if you're there. Okay, cool. Alright, Romans chapter twelve. The rest of you don't have Bibles, I see. Or you're a babe in Christ and you're learning where these books are at. Maybe you have to learn how to use the table of contents. Maybe we'll have a Bible study on that. Right? The table of contents. Alright, so Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, uh, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and accept, uh, holy and pleasing to God. This is your <coughs> true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, I just want to real quickly uh, remain there. I just want to read in the ESV just to get a different translation. And, and feel so um, yes Romans chapter 12 um, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Uh, yeah, what is the will of God? Um, what is good and acceptable and perfect? We're going to go ahead and um, we're not going to stop there. Um, we will continue to do some further reading. But at this point, I just want to give a, a pause there so I can comment a little bit on this. Um, and so, first of all, when Paul is writing, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And so, a, a therefore is a transitionary phrase. So that is to say that in light of everything that Paul has written, he is now making a transition into his, his, um, his next point. And so you have to understand, well, what exactly was it that he said previously? He wrote in Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way up into the point of chapter 12. And he's writing about the gospel. That, that is to say, the good news of God's salvation to mankind. It is the good news. It's not bad news. And he writes in Romans chapter 1, talking about the condemnation as it upon that is upon people, both Jew and Gentile alike. In Romans 1, 2, he talks about the way of salvation in chapter 3, 4. And he talks about our justification in, in Romans 5. Us being dead to sin in Romans 6 and 7. Being alive in the life of the Spirit in Romans 8. God's sovereign choice in chapter 9. And so the point though is, I can keep going, is that God's good news has appeared to mankind. And it is that good news that we have received as his people. 
we have been forgiven of our sins. The condemnation that exists that uh, that was upon us in former times has now been removed by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. <coughs> and so now Paul is saying, therefore, in light of all of that great truth, in light of all of that, what does he do? He says, I urge you, right? I, I beg you is another term. I beg you, I implore you. Uh, that word means to, it's parakaleo. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, the word you, um, <clears throat> advocate that is used for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. And, and it basically means, again, to beg. And I, I want to give you an example in Matthew chapter 14, verse 36, of how this uh, term is used. Matthew chapter 14, 30, verse 36. It says this, um, this is the same word that's used, and it says, oh, beginning at verse 35, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, people brought all their sick to him, and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And so, this, is, this isn't a mere... Um, simple request, right? Like you're not going to non like be nonchalant about getting to Jesus in order to be healed. What does it say there very clearly? And he begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. So a begging, if you were sick and you were on the verge of death, what would your begging look like? It would look desperate. It would look importunate. It would look persistent. It would look audacious. It would look stubborn in your request because you have no other options at this point. Either you get ill and a breakthrough comes, <coughs> a breakthrough comes, or it doesn't. And this is the exact same of uh, desperation and and beggarly request that Paul is making to the church at Rome, saying, "Therefore, in light of this." I urge you, I implore you, I exhort you, I entreat you, right? I'm begging you to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. <clears throat> you know, there's two Greek words for the word body. is sarkos, which can mean flesh or body or carnal. And then there's soma. The Greek word that's used here is soma. And it doesn't speak with regards to a corrupted body or a carnal body it's just body in a very generic way and so paul is saying look you have to now present your natural bodies as not a dead sacrifice he doesn't want us to um you know commit spiritual suicide right he wants us see a lot of times people say you know i'm willing to die for you jesus jesus is saying just live for me you know, a, a lot of times people have a martyrdom complex, you know, and they, they want to, they fantasize about themselves like, oh yeah, I see myself doing this, being this hero of the faith. But Jesus is saying, if you can't live for me, what makes you think you can die? And, and Jesus, Jesus, look, he already, he already paid the greatest price in his death 
for our sins. It's not like your death is going to contribute anything to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So he don't need your blood. Amen. (laughs) (coughs) Nobody needs your blood. You need your blood. Keep it. (laughs) Keep it. (laughs) And live for the Lord Jesus. It says offer or to present your bodies as a li- or donate <laughs> present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know that that Greek word present. It, it, the the word in the Greek. Um, I was looking up a number of examples where this word is located, and one of the occurrences when G- Jesus said that his angels stand by that could I not call on my father uh, uh, 12 legions of angels basically what it means to present is to be at standby to be at the call of to to be um, to stand by what does it mean to stand by right that that's I believe a term that police officers use to stand by right in other words you are at the the call of of a master. And so to present your bodies is to yield it on a day to day to day to day basis. You are always standing post to render unto the Lord some form of sacrifice or another. But the ultimate sacrifice is your body. Right? And so it's not like you can punch in and punch out clock in for eight hours and say, all right, Lord, I'm no longer presenting my body as a living sacrifice. It is 24-7. And I think that's the exhausting thing of a Christian. If you're not not one for real, is you're going to get very tired because you can never punch out. You have to be identified as a Christian for real. And this isn't a job. This is a lifestyle. And it is more than a lifestyle, it is an identity. And it is more than a mere identity, it is in fact a very nature, and this nature is a spiritual one. You have to be, as John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, born again from above. And if that born again experience has not occurred, then you are not a Christian. Right? So... <coughs> So he says, number one, I want the sacrifice to be living. And number two is that the sacrifice was to be holy. You know, a lot of times people say, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. Well, you know, Paul never addresses the church of God as sinner. He never ever addresses them as a sinner. Jesus never addresses the church as a sinner. The, the, the way that he addresses them is saint. And that basically means in the Greek language to be a holy one. To be set apart. To be unique. To be peculiar. To be consecrated unto the Lord. And so our identity as Christians are to be holy. I wanted to um, real quickly ask that we turn our attention to... Um, a particular passage. It's in Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, verse eighteen. Second <coughs> Chronicles chapter twenty-six, verse eighteen. 
The reason why I'm asking that we turn here is because the sacrifices that we offer unto the Lord, our bodies, in order to present what is holy, we must first be made holy. And in fact, unless we are made holy, whatever we offer unto the Lord is rejected. You have to be consecrated and made holy by the Lord. See, true holiness doesn't come to make ourselves holy. We are made holy and therefore live holy. Do you see that? So we must be acted upon by a force or entity of another. A force of another or another entity, another person, another agent. And the agent who is in the ministry, in the business of making men holy, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? He indwells us. The ministry of those who make men unholy are unclean spirits. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit is interested in making us holy. That's why you can't live the way that you want to live any longer. That's why you can't watch the things that you watch any longer. Is because you have a holy agent that has taken residence inside your heart. And says, I don't want to live that life. I'm inside this holy temple. And I have committed to remain here. And so I'm going to disturb you until you get your life right. Amen. And so the Lord keeps pressing, keeps urging, keeps convicting. Right? That's why David says, my, my, my strength was uh, sapped as in the heat of summer, and my bones were crushed because of the weight of my sins. They were more than the hairs of my head. <clears throat> and so the Holy Spirit don't give up on you. You know, there's a song that says, don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. He's able don't give up on God, because He won't give up on you. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful that the Lord hasn't given up on you? If the Lord has given up on you, you, you wouldn't be in a Bible study right now. <laughs> you think the flesh brought you here? You think the devil brought you here? Hey, go to that Bible study where truth is preached. <laughs> but second chronicles chapter 26 verse 18 says they confronted king uzziah and said it is not right for you uzziah to burn incense to the lord that is for the priests the descendants of aaron who have been consecrated or to set apart to burn incense Leave the sanctuary, for you will be unfaith for you have been unfaithful, you will not be honored by the Lord God. And so there there's two different consecrations. There's the very ultimate and general consecration or um, act of having been made separate. That is to say, to have become holy. And as I've talked about before. I've mentioned on a number of occasions, what made Esau an unholy and profane man? Did, did he uh, rape anyone? Did he like murder someone? <clears throat> did, he, 
Did he live a tremendous, like, licentious lifestyle? Was he preaching false doctrine? No, he simply sold his birthright for food. And so you know what that meant is the estimate that he had of his birthright was a very low view. What does it mean to have a birthright? You know, in other words, a birthright was a holy thing. And so he deemed and estimated that which is holy as something just common and on level with nothing more than food. And so you, you know the more you know there are people in the world there I've met gang members that have more uh, gang members that will shoot someone. They have put in work to to cause havoc in the world. They have more reverence for God. I'm not saying they're holy, but they have more reverence for God than some pastors. You know, you you walk around them, they start hiding their blunts, they put it out, they put out their cigarettes. Oh, you know, here comes a holy man. You know, and they, they will stop cussing, or if they cuss, they check themselves. Hey, bro, I'm sorry. You know, because they have a sense of there, there's a God, and I don't want to disrespect him. And I'm at least going to respect his people. I know I know, I ain't living right, but I know how I, to identify that which is holy. Right? And yet, there are some that look very moral. Look very moral. But they have such a low view of God. And their lives demonstrate it. And they turn the church house into nothing more than a circus or to an entertainment center. And, and I would dare to say, in many cases, those people are more displeasing to the Lord than those of the world. Because the people in the church should know better, don't turn the Father's house into a circus ring. The Lord, the Lord is, because remember, the house of the Lord is a temple, and the temple is sacred. It's sacred. Right? And so, we, we, we are not to carry this sort of ridiculous attitude where we're playing games and, you know, we're just treating God like everybody else. You know, I, and let me just really quickly correct this and we're going to move forward. Um, I've heard people say, you know, I, I, I talk to God like my homeboy. I'm like, that, that is an indication that you have a low view of God. He's not your homeboy. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he reigns. Did, did, did I, I don't know about you, but I've read Isaiah chapter 6 and it kind of doesn't look like he's addressing him as homeboy. He's kind of like saying, uh, the Lord is high and lifted up, seated upon a throne, and his train fills the temple. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Did John, not John the Beloved, who laid his head on the bosom of Jesus, who was more intimate with Jesus than any man, say he fell at his feet as dead? Amen. That isn't to say that we're not a friend of God, but let us make it straight. You know, it's like... Uh, with um like I remember my dad, you know, he uh I remember he used to tell me, um, he said, Look, boy, I'm not one of your homeboys. I'm your father. Address me as such. Why? Because he's not just like everybody else. And in this generation, one of the things that we have got wrong 
<coughs> we no longer honor positions. We no longer honor people. We no longer honor those whom are worthy of honor. And we dishonor everybody. We dishonor everything. And we treat everybody like everybody. And it's no wonder why we get treated like a nobody. Because we just dismiss everyone. We dismiss our parents. We dismiss our teachers. We, dis- we dismiss authorities. We can't do that. We have to respect and honor and, and recognize that. And so how much more the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so the point though here is in this text <coughs> is that Uzziah was not consecrated unto the Lord in order to render priestly duties. He was not authorized to render unto the Lord priestly duties. And so the point that I was trying to make earlier is that there's, there's this ultimate um, call for all believers to become holy. And then there's a, if I, if I can say it, um, another call for those who are called to the ministry. And they're kind of like the Levites that were kind of set apart from those who are already set apart. So you have ministers like that today. They're they're set apart from the rest of the sheep to the ministry of the word and prayer. And and so that's kind of what's going on here. And so he's trying to do something and assume something that he wasn't (coughs) authorized to do. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Forgive me. My point, though, is as we come to Romans chapter 12, One of the ways that we present a holy sacrifice is that we must first, we must first need to be made holy in order to offer ourselves as holy unto the Lord, to provide the Lord holy sacrifices. Amen. Amen. Let let, let us uh, uh, real quickly turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. I just want to uh, appeal to this last verse to justify my claim to prove what I'm saying. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. And it says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the li- uh, fruit of lips that openly profess His name, and do not forget to do good to and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. And so you first see here in chapter and verse 12 that the Lord makes us holy. Through what? His own blood. His blood is what consecrates us. His blood is what cleanses us. His blood is what sets us apart even before we get to any acts of service, any acts of of sacrifices unto the Lord. And so you 12 comes before uh, these other verses here. Uh, verse um, 15 to be specific. Right? And what does verse uh, 15 say? 
to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So the sacrifice of, of Jesus that cleanses us and makes us holy comes before we can even offer to him a sacrifice of praise. And so if we are not cleansed and we are not purified by his blood, then our sacrifices are unacceptable unto the Lord. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. And so returning back to Romans chapter 12, it says this, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God or acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship, or this is your um, reasonable worship, right? True worship, reasonable worship. What is Jesus looking for? Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. This is our spiritual act of worship, right? And so Jesus isn't looking for Pharisees who had professed the name of the Lord, but did things by the works of the flesh. He's looking for people to bear fruit for his name. And who is the fruit bearer? The Holy Spirit. And we must continue to present ourselves, to yield ourselves, to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, it is you who works and wills in me for your good pleasure. Right? Does not Paul say that in Philippians? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is the Lord who works and wills in and through you for his good pleasure. And so let us be encouraged that we don't have to produce this ourselves. We don't have to energize ourselves. The Lord does the energizing. The Lord does the empowering. The Lord does the persuading. We merely have to submit and yield ourselves to his ministry and to his authority. And if we do that, the Bible calls that a spiritual act of worship. So it's not going to be accomplished by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, I've heard this example used before in physics. You have to have a force to act upon you. Because if a force doesn't act upon you, all you have is potential energy. It is converted to kinetic energy. That is to say that it's actually being put to use when another force acts upon that object. And so we stand alone. We stand powerless. And we need the Holy Spirit to act upon us to drive us. Like what it says in Luke chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus into the wilderness? Let me ask you this question. What is the Lord compelling you to do? (coughs) What is offering your body as a living sacrifice look in your life? What does that look like? What is the Holy Spirit personally telling you? For some of you, you have to ask people for forgiveness. For some, you have to... Uh, apologize for the things that you have done or the things that you have said. For some, it's because you've been holding on to your money as as your God. You've been greedy. For some, it's it's, um, fornication. And the Lord says, I've set you apart. I've justified you by my name. I sanctified you by the Spirit of God. You're not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. Therefore, 
I urge you, I beg you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm still sick, man. And, and last thing I would say, the Bible describes it as a reasonable worship. It's not unreasonable. The Lord has given the Lord has given everything to us and for us. And so for him to ask in response is your life isn't unreasonable and it's not grievous. In fact, it's the only path that leads to, leads to liberty and to freedom. Everybody today are being promised freedom through LGBT and transgender and homosexuality. But all it's doing is placing the people in bondage. <coughs> they dig themselves <coughs> further and further into the mire. They dig themselves further and further into the mire. And they become more entrapped and more entrapped and more entrapped. Verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't be fashioned like it. That Greek word for world is not the word cosmos, like the cosmos. There, there's, there's three Greek words that are translated world. Um, gune, um, or gunaikos, if I'm not mistaken, which refers to earth or land. Cosmos, which refers to cosmos or world. And then this Greek word, uh, Greek word ionon, which means eternal, or it can be translated world. And so there is a, but or it could be, it can mean age. <clears throat> and and this is what Paul says: Had the rulers of this age knew who the Lord was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Or the Bible says that the God of this age or the god of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers <coughs> and so what does the age refer to it refers to a system it refers to an order of how things occur and so when paul is saying do not be conformed to this age what are the people in this age doing they're parading pride. They're parading homosexuality. They're parading transgenderism. They're parading Marxism and communism and all the isms. But it, it, it's it. But it's an ain't. <laughs> Every ism is an ain't. It ain't done me any good. <laughs> I, I remember I was listening to an old school G, uh, 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 preaching by G. E. Patterson. He says, uh, he says, I, I don't care whether it's Buddhism. Or Hinduism, or all the other isms. He says, you can't fix me with that, because I'm already fixed. <laughs> my heart is fixed. My mind is made up. Right? My heart is fixed and my mind is made up. Why? Because the Lord has made a case to my heart. And everybody, everyone else died. Muhammad died. Buddha died, but Jesus died and he rose again. Right? He conquered the grave. He conquered hell. And so Paul doesn't want you to be conformed or fashioned in the likeness of, of that. 
He doesn't want you to be fashioned like a Kim Kardashian. He doesn't want our sisters in the Lord to find identity in being this plastic model. Right? (coughs) He wants them to be modest, to be chaste. He doesn't want them to be loud and obstinate like many of the Kim Kardashians in the, in, in the carcasses that are walking around today. He wants, he, 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 the Lord wants you to emulate and to model women like Sarah. Right? Or wants the men to model men like David or men like Abraham. Men of faith, men of godliness. Men of of good conduct. Men of integrity. Amen? Amen. But he says this, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. So there's patterns to this stuff. Right? There's patterns to music. There's patterns to your character. There's patterns to the ways of the world. What is it? The patterns is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the patterns. But he says this, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That same word transformed is is the term that's used when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration. As he was praying, the fashion of his countenance was transfigured. Not before he prayed or after he prayed, but as he began to pray, the fashion of his countenance was transfigured. In other words, prayer is a platform for transformation. The Word of God is a platform for transformation. And so if we're going to be transformed, it has to be on the platform of the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. Amen. You know why? Because every time you come to prayer and every time you come to the Word of God, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, beholding yourself in truth to see what you need to correct. I, I highly doubt, <clears throat> unless you're in like in a real tremendous rush, that you that you ever walk outside of your house without having checked in the mirror, right? Especially you ladies, I don't see yourself just waking up from bed with your hair not done and then just exiting outside without having looked in the mirror. (laughs) That ain't happening. But how many of you leave your house without having checked in the mirror of your word or the mirror of prayer? Right? I hope that's conviction and not you looking in some physical mirror right now having been so distracted. Oh, 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 what, 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 me? No, not me. (laughs) Trying to drop that hot conviction like, uh, try to drop that conviction like a hot potato. So, all right, so let us continue. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5 it says that through the Holy Spirit we have received renewal. Renewal of the Holy Ghost, right? Renewal of our hearts by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Spirit renovates you. Right? He makes you new. He restores. Like David says, create in me a clean heart or a new heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. (coughs) The Holy Spirit is the agent. That accomplishes this. But let me ask you this. How many? How much of your time is actually spent communing with him, asking for this? See, because the mind is like this. I've used this analogy before, but the mind is very much like Microsoft Word. When you go on Microsoft Word and you change the font setting from 12 to 14, you, it will remain at 14. Right, But once you shut down the laptop and you go to return, it returns back to 12. Why? Because the default setting has not been changed. Well, your mind has a default setting. And so the reason why you continue the same practices that you do is because your mind has a default setting and you have not yielded that place of your life or the place of your mind to the Holy Spirit to begin to transform that area. To reset that default setting so that when you do return back, the the character is fixed. And it's a newer character. It's not the old character. And so take note of the fact that it's renewing of the mind. (coughs) In other words, this is a continual process. I believe it's uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5, if I'm not mistaken. It says, for by one sacrifice has he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So he perfects you by the sacrifice. He justifies you by his sacrifice. But the but a process of continual sanctification occurs from that moment that you have been justified by his blood to the time the Lord calls you home. Amen. So the, this process, you, you don't just get to say, I renewed my mind and I, I said it and I forget it. You must daily renew it, daily work at it, daily renovate it. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, begin to say, Lord, I need your mind. Lord, change my mind, change my ways. Oh God, grant me the mind of Christ. I don't want my mind. <laughs> Excuse me. And then it says this. <coughs> then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When will you? Then you will. So, you know, some of you are like, man, and I get it. I want to lose weight. Right? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I can't get over this cough, man. Keep me in your prayers. 
Some of you are like, I want to drop this weight, but it's not going to magically fall off of you. Some of you are just wishing on a star, throwing pennies in a wishing well. Saying, oh man, I, I need this, 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 I, I need these calories off of me. I need this fat off of me. Right? And just hoping to wake up being 20 pounds lighter. No. You're going to lose weight. You know, as once you work out, then you will lose weight, right? Once once we change our eating habits, then we will lose weight, right? Well, the Bible is telling us that we're not going to be able to approve what God's will is until we renew our minds and we present ourselves as living sacrifices. See, the reason why some of you cannot figure out the will of God to save your life is because you're not intent, intending on presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. You're saying, Lord, uh, you know, I want your will, but it's just lip service because you have no intention on leaving that uh, attractive person that God told you to done leave. Right? And so you're not yielding yourself, and so that's why you're led to confusion. That's why you live confounded. That's why you live with no direction. You don't know your sense of purpose. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Because the thing you're not supposed to be doing is the thing that you're persuading yourself that you should be doing. So it isn't until you repent of that, you change your mind and say, that's not what God wants me to do. And I'm going, and then it's at that moment God begins to tell you what to do. God ain't going to tell you what to do in order, before you obey Him in the things He told you not to do. Amen. Amen. So the Lord ain't going to tell you who your spouse is if you're still at the bar trying to flirt with people. Oh, Lord, I just... No, get things right. Obey what you do know. Why are you asking for more light if you can't obey the light you already have? Right? Lord, I want to become a theologian, but you don't read your Bible. Take a theology course. You don't even read your Bible. You still think the book of Numbers is a, 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 a one of those old yellow books with a bunch of phone numbers in them. You still won't repent of your cheesy pickup Christian pickup lines. Yeah, I was reading the book of Numbers and I seen yours wasn't in there. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're still trying to impress. You're still trying to impress the ladies by how many chairs you could pick up after church. <laughs> oh man, you need to repent of that. Just because you became a Christian, don't mean you got to lose your game. <laughs> That's lame, man. You could do better. <laughs> Um, so you need to, (coughs) it says, then you will be able. So until that is accomplished, you don't have the ability to, 
Once you do, you are able. You're able to do to do what? To test and to approve. Um, to test, to examine, to analyze, to prove. That's what it means. And so, what does it mean to prove or to examine something? You know, like for example, <coughs> me and my wife had a, <clears throat> a talk some time ago about when our boy gets older and when he starts like, well, dating, courting or whatever, right? <coughs> I was, uh, <coughs> hold on. <coughs> oh, Father, I just pray God for you to help me, Lord, speak without any interruptions, Lord. God, I pray, Father, for healing in my chest, Lord. Alleviate, Father, this cough in Jesus' mighty name. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> but we were talking, and I was I was asking my wife how, how exactly she might feel, you know, with, uh, you know, if my boy, you know, is of age and introduces a, a, a you know, he finds a, a a sister that he loves or likes or whatever, right? And um, and then I, I I thought about it that I'm I would be a whole lot more lenient than if I had a daughter and and uh, and she found a man and I I, I was like hmm I it kind of seems impar- it seems partial uh, but um, I was beginning to think I'm like well I would examine that guy. Like, if he came to my house and he had baggy pants, I'm kicking him the heck out. Like, you get out of here. I don't know who you think you are, but, I mean, especially if you got a belt and you're still sagging, you don't even know how to make use of a belt. You know, and, and like, you know, but my point, though, is that um, I'm going to examine. You know, I'm going to examine, I'm going to prove, and I'm going to test this individual. Are you suitable? Right? Well, some of you don't do any testing. Some of you don't do any examination. You don't do examine examination. You just want to act like it was revelation. And that excuses you from examination. And the only revelation you got was that she was pretty or or he was handsome. And so my point, though, is I'm being a bit facetious here, but I'm saying this because you have to really, as careful as you would to examine, like some of you are, are really insistent upon having clean forks and clean spoons when you go out to restaurants. Like there better not be a speck or, and because you're concerned about it, you want to examine it. And so how careful are we in examining the will of the Lord? Or are we assuming by mere presumption that certain things are the will of God when they're not? We have to prove it. We have to test it. Everything has to be held up to the light of scripture. Everything has to be weighed and judged by the standard and the rule of Scripture. And then in addition to that, we also find peace through the compass of prayer. You know, Johnny Depp was being examined in court, and a lot of the Christians were all intrigued by this 
judicial gossip, right? And some were more insistent upon examining Johnny Depp than they are examining our own hearts. <coughs> Can someone say ouch? Because I, I know I know some of you are out there. Um, y'all following? Amen. <clears throat> um. But my point, though, is this. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is. <clears throat> what? Through renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. Testing. Right? So your mind has to become spiritual in order for you to do that. Your mind has to become spiritual. In order to detect the ways of the Lord. You know, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24... As Jesus expounded to them the scripture, when he was when he was uh, revealing himself through the law, it says, "Then he opened their mind to the scriptures." That's what the text explicitly said that he opened their mind to the scriptures. You know, you can read the scriptures and your mind be closed. That's how it is for a lot of the cessationists who don't read by the Spirit. They're opening the book, but the seals are locked to them. Because they still have a natural mind that reads the scripture that it, that precludes the supernatural. And they say, God can't do that. Right? Their traditions have made the word of God of no effect. And so what we need is for Jesus to open up our mind to the scriptures yet again. Open up our minds to his will so that we will be able to rightfully examine it, to weigh it, to test it, to prove it. For what? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know there are some good things that are not God things. So it's not enough. It, it is at least necessary for everything that you commit to God to be good. That's what the text says here in the second verse. That it must be good. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? Because God accepts no evil acts. And so everything that we commit to the Lord must first be good. But it's not enough for it to be good. It must be pleasing, or as other translations says, acceptable. There are certain good things that you will do unto the Lord that God will not accept because they are good things, not God things. Does that make sense? The reason why is because God hasn't called you to that. So he isn't going to accept that good work because you're not. that's not your jurisdiction. It's like a security guard trying to arrest someone. Like, bro, you ain't no cop. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Halt. <laughs> They're trying to overstep their jurisdiction and the authority. Like, that's good, bro, but you might actually end up getting in trouble by the law. Because that's you don't have authorization to do that. Does that make sense? Some of you are trying to do a good thing and actually marry a good person, but they're not for you. So it's unacceptable to the Lord because it's not a God thing. Or some of you are trying to be very good in a profession when the Lord has called you to the ministry. It's a good thing you want to be integral and have good conduct in a good profession, but it's unacceptable to the Lord because God hasn't called you to that. 
Does that make sense? And and it's not even enough that it's good <coughs> and pleasing. It must be perfect. That is the Greek word telos. It means to have an expected end. There, there's a teleological argument for the existence of God. And the reason why they call it teleological is because it comes from the Greek word telos, which means something with an intended design. So it's an argument for the existence of God by the designing of the universe. So they examine the, the, the pinpoint precision of the design of the universe and then use that as a basis to argue for the existence of God. Well, my point in mentioning teleology or, or design is this, that every design has an expected end for its use. There are certain things that I have, a phone, and it's designed to accomplish a certain purpose. Or that's what it means for something to become perfect, is that it is being used any fashion that is corresponding to its intended design, and it comes to its expected end. That's why a ch children, they're not yet made perfect. Because when they're perfect, the same Greek word you can translate to be mature, right? Once it, become, once it comes to maturity, it is said that they have become, quote, perfect. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, that he gave apostles, prophets, so on and so forth, for the perfecting of the saints, for the maturity of the saints. God has an intended design for you to reach, and you have you might be doing good, you might be doing what is well-pleasing to the Lord, but you have yet to become mature, right? You may be walking in your calling, but you haven't perfected it. Does that make sense? And so when we renew our mind, we are able to not only test that which is good, but we are able to test what is acceptable to the Lord. And not only are we able to test what is acceptable to the Lord, we will be able to make the proper judgment when we have arrived to maturity in it. Because some of you have already tapped out when you're not yet reaching maturity. Because it's necessitating more of a stretch for growth in your life. Right? The Lord says, I want you to start speaking to people. I know that you're speaking to saints. I now want you to speak to unbelievers. And that's what perfection in your call looks like. And you say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Right? I, I want us to quickly turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. <laughs> we'll be coming to a close here shortly. Are you guys okay? I'm doing good. Or are you guys weeping? Uh. Do you, any of you need sackcloth and ashes? <clears throat> so... Hebrews chapter, let's actually begin at verse 11 in chapter 5. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you. 
You know, let me just say this. I'm not going to point anybody out. But I know there's some in this group that there's certain spiritual things that's hard to make clear to you. Um, right? So uh, let us not be that way. <coughs> For starters, let, let me, let me, you, you know where it begins? It begins when you're, you're praying or you're reading your Bible and you can't stop uh, texting people. It's hard to make it's hard for the Lord to make clear things to you because your attention is is on other things, right? We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you. So, there's some things that the Lord wants to share to you because he has much to say, but he can't make it clear to you. That's why you're still in confusion. I have much to say. Did not Jesus say I have many things to say but you cannot bear them? My brothers and sisters, what are some of the things that have been said today, but you cannot bear them? You no long. It says why? We try to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. God forbid that you should come here and hear the word and you have no understanding. Hearing is not understanding. When I tell my son to do certain things, he hears me, but it doesn't mean he understands. Some of you are hearing me, but he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. Do you have understanding? You, you, know, you know what it requires for you to understand? To come under. Who stand? The Lord stand. He takes a stand on an issue and you have to come under it. That's true understanding. It's not only mere comprehension. Right? But you're tro- you're no longer willing to understand. You know, I-, I can't tell you how many times I've had people try to debate me on Facebook. And they, they act like they're Dr. Phil of-, of the pulpit. Like, see here, I'm going to tell you. This is my show. I'm being serious. I, I I know I kind of give that portrayal, but that's how I interpret them. It's like you're not even trying to understand what I'm saying. And so I just leave it there. It's a waste of time. Verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. So guess what? There's a certain time you ought to be teachers. There's a certain time that you must learn to come to pray. There's a certain time that you must arrive to where you're beginning to teach other people. I mean, it's cute when you're on milk and you're wearing diapers when you're six months old, but God forbid that you're seven years old and you're still on diapers. Still asking mama to change your your, your diaper. It's, it's ridiculous. It's cute when you're younger, but it's unacceptable now that you're of age. Amen. I don't know if you ever been in class and you did math and stuff, and that the same hand goes up. What was that? What was the answer to that again? Can you reteach me this formula? Like it's 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 appalling to me that like because some of you are sitting under a ministry 
that we all we do is pray. It is our breath. We pray every Wednesday. We speak about prayer and we hear it time and time again. And you still haven't yet integrated into your life for it to be a central facet of your Christian walk. You're still only partaking of appetizers. You're not consuming meat in prayer. For the time you ought to be teachers. For the time you ought to be this or ought to be that. There is a time. And when, when, when you meet that time, it is commendable. But if you don't reach it at all, that's a failure. But if you're late in life, it's better than nothing. But it, you're not going to receive an applause. Right? <clears throat> For example, um, I graduated high school years after I should have. I should have graduated in 2012. I didn't graduate until 2015, largely because of my former life and I got kicked out of every school so when I did become a Christian at 17 I had to work harder to regain all those credits so it's better than not graduating but the point is during 2012 was the time I ought to have graduated well there is a time stamp for your call when you ought to be something amen <clears throat> That's why for some of you, if I push you in a certain direction, it's because I have foresight and I'm telling you for a specific purpose because you ought to be going forward. And so, verse 12, in fact, though this time, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Doesn't it kind of suck if you fail an examination, you got to start the whole semester over again or something? That kind of sucks. And you're seeing everybody else graduate. Right? It says, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So since we're talking about testing and proving the will of God, you know how we arrive there? By constant use. You train. <coughs> you train yourself. Or as the KJV puts it, by constant exercise, you, uh, by constant use, you exercise your senses to distinguish both good and evil. Right. Just last night when I had uh, these kids, they were all like propped up on the walls. Uh, some of you guys seen on my stories are put in the Telegram group, um, like the beautiful scenery. And uh, and well, these kids, uh, you know, I was I was I was just enjoying the sunset. I had no intention on talking to them, but then I began to feel the Lord prod me. And then God spoke to me about this kid. Lord says he has a scar on his left hand that he got when he broke his wrist. And so I I said, hey, uh, by any chance you have a scar right here on your left arm uh, that you got from breaking a bone? He says, yeah, I do. I broke it from football. And he showed me. And, um, and 
I, I bring that up because I was in a moment that I just wanted to enjoy for myself when the Holy Spirit said, this is an opportunity for the gospel. If my senses were not exercised, I would have missed the Lord. Do you see that? But you know how I have come to that place? It's by constant exercise, constant use, constant training. What happens when you don't put your muscles to use anymore? They become weak and fragile and flabby. Right? Amen. What happens if you use them all the time? You develop strength. And so what happens if you no longer use your eyes? You no longer use your ears. What happens if you close yourself off to your eyes and only use your ears? Your senses become heightened because you're isolating all your energy to that one channel. And so my question to you guys is this. Are you exercising your senses? Are you training your senses? And if the senses that you're training are only natural, then you're a mere infant in the spirit and you got to get to work. Amen? So what does that look like? It means actually spending time with God. It means actually worshiping God. It means actually getting into His Word and reading His Word. It's very simple. It's not complex, but it is difficult. Because there's going to be many times you have to dismiss certain invitations and say, I can't go to that. I have a, a time that I've allotted to my Lord. And I have to keep in, be in keeping with that. Amen. Because if you don't exercise your senses, brothers and sisters... You will be shadow boxing in life. And you will be hitting, but you'll be missing a target. You know, it's funny. I remember in the world, you know, a lot of guys would brag on themselves like, yo, I got hands, I got hands. And then when you see them posture themselves, they're like, they're like this, like doing some crazy stuff. Like you, you don't even know the basics of like putting your hands up. And and the reason why I say that is because and then when they when they hit they're like going all, all crazy and they're missing every single blow. Well, it's indicative of the fact that you have done no training. All you do is brag. There's a lot of times you guys brag on the word, brag on God, but then when the time and opportunity comes and people put you to the defense trial and ask you about your faith, you don't know what to say. And sometimes, if we're honest, atheists actually end up schooling us on our own books than we do our, our own, you know? So, <clears throat> let me just read uh, these real quick. Romans chapter 12, and for sure we're coming to a close after that. <coughs> um Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. <coughs> In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, for just as each of us each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so Paul is talking about all the uh, he's talking about all the gifts here. But notice though, in in the beginning of chapter twelve, he says you need to renew your mind first, right? And so one of the way, and then he begins talking about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. Let me tell you this. You're not walking in the good, pleasing, and perfect if you have not yet discovered your giftings. The giftings are for the purpose of the building up of God's church. And so what you're doing as everybody else is working on the building, you're just chilling. You're just kind of hanging out and back and you're not contributing to the construction of the building. Right? And so what's the solution? You have to figure out your giftings. And some of you already know them, but you don't want to do them. You want to do something else because you think it's easier or you think it's more attractive. Right? But if you try to please everybody or do everything, you will end up reaching nobody. If you try to reach everybody, you end up reaching nobody. You have to know your audience. You have to know your gifting. You have to know your calling. And once you figure out your gifting and calling, those who need that gifting, who are receptive to that guilting, it is they whom you serve. Does that that make sense? Some of you have a singing gift. You never sing. Right? Because you want to do something else. And so some of you minimize your giftings. Don't minimize them. We all have the same function. You know, these eyes, they're such a small part. But if I don't have them, you know how much of a disadvantage I'm at? You know how much of a disadvantage you're at? You know this this thumb? If I don't have it, I can't turn a doorknob. Well, I actually have really lar- long fingers, so I can use, like I can put the doorknob in between these four fingers and turn it that way. But it's still, you know, it's still more difficult. And we all need even the smallest members of this body. You know, a toothache, yeah. it's such a small thing. But if I have a toothache, you know, I get pretty irritated. And so you might be that tooth. And if you're hurting, guess what? The whole body hurts. <clears throat> well, hopefully the whole body hurts. Some some parts of the body are so insensitive. I don't feel that. <laughs> um, and lastly, that's the gift aspect. You can read about that later if you want. But verse 9 through 21 we're just going to read it and that's it love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to <laughs> natalia put a meme in the chat just recently it says because it had this verse it had like a little boy clinging to a humongous like 300 pound guy <laughs> on the back of a motorcycle and the the big guy it says good and it says me clinging to <laughs> 
Uh, that was funny. Um, but it says, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear brother, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <coughs> and so, you have, in closing, Paul's prefacing by saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the way you do that is you figure out your giftings and your callings and you walk in it. And then number two, he offers a, an ethical list of certain morals that you should be giving yourself to to develop your character. Right? So we want not only character, we want character and gifts. We not only want gifts, but we want character. We want both. Right? And so when we touch these two facets, um, then we're on good ground as we're fulfilling the will of God. Right. Um, hey, brother, question, if I can. Yeah, go ahead. Right 